fear of recession means that consumer spending and consumer borrowing is falling quite sharply. You can even see it in social behaviour. It's just when I drive back from London of an evening after my GB News show, there's far fewer cars on the road. That People say, look, we're not going out because people are beginning to understand, even though, the sun, even though it's the loveliest summer since 76, there is this sort of financial tsunami coming on households just down the road. So perhaps in that sense, it's not surprising that inflation has slowed slightly. The question is, does it just disappear? Or is it, as we've speculated now for a very long time, or is it the fact that it is a disease of money? And even if the rate of increase stalls, getting it out of the system generally takes much longer than people think. And if you add to that, there is still, uh, before the EU changes their stance on Ukraine, the risk of, a, you know, the risk of another. Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, have we already lost the war in Ukraine? Because it seems to me that way. No, no, no. We're putting sanctions on Putin. Don't you understand? We're going to make Putin's life impossible. We're going to ban people from playing tennis in Wimbledon. And we're going to sanction all sorts of people and take super yachts. And it's going to be great. It's going to be absolutely marvellous. There'll be no backlash whatsoever. Sanctions are all the one-way street. I mean, it just shows you what cretins were led by, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, how they could have thought that punishing a few high-profile billionaires and sportsmen and women uh, somehow was going to change everything. I mean, number one, on a geopolitical stance, it's moved Putin much closer to China and indeed to India as well. It doesn't get talked about much, but it's true. They're buying more and more and more from Russia. So he has managed to replace some things in markets. And the fact that McDonald's and Starbucks have closed in Moscow, I don't really think, is that big a disaster. Uh, so it wouldn't be in my life. Um, and, and, and of course, now we're finding not only have we helped to massively inflate the price of fossil fuel commodities, but that Putin has the whip hand, literally, over the whole of Europe. So they have got themselves into the most incredible mess, as they nearly always do. And it's difficult in the light of that. All right, America, you know, can keep sending kit and ammunition to Ukraine. And indeed it is. But then they're virtually self-sufficient when it comes to energy and their consumers and their industries enjoy prices roughly half of ours. Funny, isn't it? We're always told, you know, world markets, world markets, world market price. Actually, things produced locally and consumed locally can actually be cheaper in many cases than what the Rotterdam spot market for oil or gas may be. So as winter approaches, as this massive cost of living crisis comes down the track at everybody, all governments are having to make very big decisions. Do the consumers simply pay? Do governments bail them out? The scale of the bailouts, of course, absolutely enormous. The risk of not bailing out, I don't want to over-exaggerate this, but civil disobedience. I mean, I've never, ever can remember, you know, a campaign getting up and running in this country that's simply saying, don't pay your bill. Now, it's difficult to estimate right now just how much traction that gets, but you can see how dangerous that is the cohesion of society. So for all of those reasons, uh, you know, I think we're going to start hearing a new conversation about a negotiated settlement and one that probably 
Zelensky won't like very much when it comes to the future of the Donbass region. But I think, led by the Italians, uh, who I think within the EU will be the strongest voice for this, I suspect, and all right, we're mid-August now, but I suspect by the middle of the next quarter, we will be having that conversation. Yeah, it seems to me we're already being prepared for it. I've noticed that Zelensky's been getting vilified in the media like he hasn't been since 2019. And there's been some stories, especially in the German media, about his previous corruption, about his media crackdown, about his opposition crackdowns. Mentioning these things was not politically correct until suddenly, very recently, it was. And it seems to me there's that it's the old George Orwell line about suddenly we're at war with East Asia rather than Eurasia. And, you know, history's been changed. Uh, and as you say, winter is coming. That's that's the key here. But it's remarkable to me how obvious this issue is. And I want to quote the German foreign minister Baerbock here. She said, if we don't get the gas turbine, which was needed for the for the Nord Stream 1, then we won't get any more gas. And then we won't be able to provide any support for Ukraine at all because then we'll be busy with popular uprisings. So she's acknowledged exactly what you've said. Marine Le Pen said it back in March when she called the, the sanctions harakiri, which is, you know, Japanese uh, version of you know, killing yourself to, yeah. to, well, I don't know why. Uh, and interestingly enough, the Japanese didn't engage in sanctions on Russia in the same way because they rely on Russian gas and they were not willing to commit suicide for their economy over this issue. So let's move on to what you've just mentioned there, which is what are we going to do about this? There's a few different options. One of them is just giving in, right? And and if we do that, do you think that's going to have a huge impact on inflation, on the energy crisis, on GDP, on, on so many of the topics that we've been talking about for the last few months? So Macron in France has limited price rises on gas and electricity bills to 4%. It seems incredible, but that's what he's done. And the French state is picking up the rest of the slack. <clears throat> Here in the UK, obviously, we have this debate going on about who the next leader of our nation is to be, albeit being decided by a very small elderly electorate, but hey, that's the bizarre system we've got. And it's kind of Liz Truss is sticking hard to the line, you know, we got, I'm going to cut taxes, I'm going to cut 25% of electricity bills for the green subsidies and, and social obligations, and all right, that would help a bit. She won't take the 5% of VAT, which I find very, very odd, given that it was a Brexit promise. But And she is talking about being in favour of fracking if local communities support it. But of course, the truth of that is it's still 12, 18 months down the road before any of that production would come online. So the trust is no more handouts. I'm going to cut taxes to allow people to pay their bills. Sunak is, well, I've already given people a lump of money. I may well give people a lump more money. Um, and I might increase and extend the windfall taxes that I put on the North Sea oil and gas companies to all sorts of companies. Um, and can you believe this is happening within the Conservative Party? It's quite bizarre. Uh, Trust will win. I think there's very little doubt about that, although why the hell we have to wait until the 5th of September to find out, I do not know. Because by the time they put their emergency budget in place, the bills will have landed on mats already and public fury will be well set. I think they're making a terrible political mistake uh, with this long delay. Let's dig into that, Nigel, because you said that on our meeting uh, in our meeting on Tuesday, yeah. and I found it really fascinating. I think it's the type of insight that that you're really able to provide here, which other people won't realize. The, the speed of that political process, and then having to implement whatever the policies are, that means it's going to be too late. Well, that's the point. You know, you win on the fifth of September. You have a drink and a party. You sit down with the treasury and start making plans. Now, <clears throat> for all I know, 
Team Trust and Team Rishi are already separately negotiating with the Treasury for what they'd like to do on day one. But I don't see any evidence of it. If they were doing it, we'd know about it because we'd be told, hey, we're safeguarding the future. No, you get into office, uh, you appoint a chancellor, uh, you say what you want to do in a budget, you have an emergency budget, but that can't come into place until what can we say, second week of October at the absolute earliest. You then, if you want to make changes to social security, et cetera, well, some of this will be legislative and need to go through the House of Commons. But the time you get relief agreed, um, people are going to be enraged and will have stopped paying their bills anyway. So the timings of all of this politically are pretty catastrophic for the Conservatives, unless they can navigate a way through this in the next two to three weeks. My suspicion, I really have thought a lot about this in the last couple of days. My suspicion is there'll be pretty large scale handouts. I think to tweak the benefit system and get it right will simply take too long. So it'll be rather like furlough. You know, furlough applied to profitable companies and loss making companies. It was just one big gesture that was there on the table. <clears throat> I don't, I, you know, the Gordon Brown idea of doing it all through the benefit system. I mean, yeah, that could take months to work out and, and, and would probably end up riddled with fraud anyway. So I think we are going to see quite a big bailout, which, of course, would mean a big extension of government borrowing of national debt. Uh, they might do it. They might do it in the form of sort of almost of a war bond, you know, a very long dated uh, guilt bond. That's, that's sort of politically the way they might do it. And Trump pretend it's not really part of debt GDP ratios or whatever it is. Uh, but I, I just sense that even though we've had 12 years of conservative government, Nobody has made, the has made the arguments for free market capitalism. Conservative New Labour, which is what they've been, have increasingly given us the view that the state has to do everything. And that is now almost generally accepted. I mean, take windfall taxes. We've all got pension funds and they're all invested in these companies that we're about to put super taxes on. But, but no, the sort of narrative is success must be punished. There's been no alternative narrative. Uh, we've moved... Our economic argument has moved hugely to the left in the course of the last 12 years. Uh, and I think in order to be popular, in order to prevent some sort of civil disorder on a scale of which we can't at the moment really sensibly guesstimate, um, I suspect what we'll see is a very big handout coming October, November uh, to people in this country. The fraudsters will be licking their lips. Let's move on to the inflation figures. Um, they came in at 0% month over month in the US. Uh, this made me laugh a great deal because in the beginning of August, they passed a, a law with a huge amount of spending called the Inflation Reduction Act. And then the figures for July came in and inflation was zero. So you, know, you couldn't time it any better. But what do you make of the figures and uh, what's the implications of that figure for US politics? Well, fear of recession means that consumer spending and consumer borrowing is falling quite sharply. You can even see it in social behaviour. Just when I drive back from London of an evening after my GB News show, there's far fewer cars on the road. That People say, look, we're not going out because people are beginning to understand, even though, the sun, even though it's the loveliest summer since 76, there is this sort of financial tsunami coming on households just down the road. So perhaps in that sense, it's not surprising that inflation has slowed slightly. The question is, does it just disappear 
Or is it, as we've speculated now for a very long time, or is it the fact that it is a disease of money? And even if the rate of increase stalls, getting it out of the system generally takes much longer than people think. And if you add to that, there is still, uh, before the EU changes their stance on Ukraine, the risk of, a, you know, the risk of another price hike in, in gas and oil. Uh, I would say, fine, I get it. I understand why sterling rallied yesterday against the dollar the way in which it did, because maybe the Fed's tightening will now be put on hold. Um, but, but just because we get a couple of sets of figures that indicate the rate of increase has stopped, doesn't mean it's going to go away. And just to confirm, Nigel, you will be paying your household electricity bills? I will. But you see, Nick, I can afford it. I mean, you know, I mean, if you're on 35,000 a year and, you know, you're paying a bit of tax on that, your take home is 30. Uh, and if uh, and, you know, you've got all the other bills. to pay. If suddenly, you know, your gas and electricity is going to be five grand a year or what it, you, know, you are talking now in percentage terms about a very, very big lump. In fact, 50 percent of the country by Christmas will be in what generally has been defined over the last few years as fuel poverty. But imagine you're a pensioner. Imagine you're living on an old age pension. Your net, if you're living on your own, your net, your, your, your take home is about 900 a month, 900 sterling a month. So if your electricity and gas bill is 450 a month, uh, you're in some trouble. You're in some trouble. And we talk about this heat wave, you know, don't leave your house, you might drop down dead, uh, kind of warnings that we get from the mess office. And when we get extreme hot weather, some people do die. The elderly are very vulnerable to extreme heat. But I tell you what, they're even more vulnerable to extreme cold. And that really is the point. And that's why I think, Nick, ultimately, we're going to see quite a large scale intervention. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can do it through pensions and benefits and everything else. Just strikes me that's the complicated route. And it'll be just the big boom, you know, a thousand quid for every household or something like that. What about the prospect of them just giving in on Ukraine, though? Because, I mean, that seems <coughs> Difficult to for the British. Difficult for the British, because uh, they've led the charge on this. And also, we're not as directly vulnerable. Yes, we're vulnerable to the price, but we're not vulnerable in quite the same way on supply that Germany and the Netherlands, or Germany, really, and Italy are. Um, so I think the softening will come from Europe uh, before it comes from us.